sing as one for this country we're walking on we stand together to protect this land for the future we're hand in hand welcome to another episode of the environmental as anything podcast we have Simon Holmes Court on the on the line. Uh, so Simon is senior advisor to uh, the Climate and Energy College and Melbourne University, and sits on the board of the Smart Energy Council. Uh, he's an energy transition specialist, informing opinions and data with with uh, data and insights. Uh, good morning, Simon. Good morning, Meg. Great to be on the show. Yes, thank you so much. We so enjoyed your article. We, we couldn't resist giving you a call. Yes, Simon, Sean here. I love, love your work. Hi, Sean. Thank you. No thank worries. you very much. So, how Australia's energy, state energy ministers are turning the tables on Angus Taylor. Yeah, we're at a very interesting time. We often get caught up in the sideshow coming out of Canberra, the, the, the media and political sideshow, and, and very frustrating that it feels like nothing's happening. But if we take a step back, the action is very much uh, happening at the state level now. So we've got an uh, energy minister who seems intent on doing as little as possible. But we, um, meanwhile, in the background, the the uh, energy, the state energy ministers are all on a unity ticket. They they um they have all committed to net zero by 2050 or earlier, in the case of the ACT. So the state's um, leading on bipartisanship there. Absolutely, yeah. And there have been a few forums recently where the state ministers uh, have have, uh, you know, have held group Zoom calls uh, with uh, you know, public forums. And they're, um, they're all speaking on... You know, they're all on the same... They've all got the same messaging. They all see the... Uh, the, the inevitability, but also the importance of capturing these opportunities, uh, you know, the, the, the job opportunities, but also uh, it, you know, that they, you know, the, the, the sciences, or I guess the economics has been clear for some time that the, the uh, cheapest path forward is for them, uh, for them to, to keep moving on renewables and make sure that they remove all the barriers uh, that, that are holding the sector back. And uh, New South Wales Energy Minister Matt Keane uh, outlined the plan for uh, the state to be an energy superpower, so uh, wonderfully ambitious. Yeah, for, for about maybe three years, the energy market operator has been going through a process of identifying renewable energy zones. So they are, their, their definition of zones, I guess, are areas that have very strong wind and, uh, and solar and uh, storage opportunities. And uh, but but are uh, have have weak networks now. In, down in Victoria, we're um, we're in a, in a sense quite lucky that we build a massive power line right across the state from Latrobe Valley, east of Melbourne, all the way through to nearly the South Australian border at Portland, uh, in order to power the smelter. We built that about thirty years ago, mm. uh, and that's provided a backbone to hang off a lot of generation all the way along. So connection on that corridor has been pretty easy in Victoria, but New South Wales has uh, has not been so lucky and it has, has a whole lot of really uh, windy or sunny areas that don't have strong grid near them. And uh, so a couple of years ago, there was a fair bit of noise. Only one in 20 projects in, South, sorry, in New South Wales could be connected because they didn't have 
uh, access to good enough power lines. That's shocking. So Matt Keen's mm. mm. addressing that. Yeah, um, that's great. Mm. So quite, that's quite part of the infrastructure system. then that he's talking about. Yeah, and the way they're doing it is they're, um, it, it doesn't make sense for individual projects to build individual power lines across the state. So what they're, what they're doing is, uh, is um, putting together a... You know, building the line and then selling it off in slices to... Uh, or selling off you know, guaranteed access to that line. So the developer pays, um, but the project will be underwritten um, uh, initially by the Commonwealth and then the developers will buy that capacity. Excellent. Yeah, that's excellent. And thereby, uh, what you've always been saying, the, the importance of uh, creating certainty for investors. Yeah, that, that, that'll make it, that'll, that'll remove some significant uh, significant barriers. Uh, mm. There's still, mm. still a lot of risk in putting a project together. But mm. if you can't get, uh, you know, if you don't know whether you're going to be able to get your power out or you know that you can't, then it's very difficult, if not impossible, to get your project to continue. Mm. So um, uh, they, they announced uh, one one renewable energy zone uh, out near Dubbo maybe three, four weeks ago. Uh, they, they announced that they, that they had sought uh, uh, 3,000 megawatts of interest and they had nine times as much. Um, so a phenomenal amount of interest. Isn't that great? So they great? quickly proceeded on to um, another, another zone, the, the New England zone, which will be um, quite a bit bigger, uh, 8,000 megawatts. Wow. No. That, is, that is incredible. And so the, gov- the, the state government's getting all of this at a bargain basement. Like you said, they're going to get their investment back, but it's a $119 million of its own money to unlock, uh, what, $12 billion worth of... Uh, in- $12.7 billion over the investment over, over, over the decade? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very modest investment from the state, and mm. it, you know, clearly will we'll create a, a, lot, a lot of jobs in doing so. And yeah. it's still, still, still a fair bit... You know, those projects don't automatically go ahead. They, the um, people have got to... Find uh, you know, find uh, customers to sell the energy to. They've got to, you know it's a highly competitive environment, so there's still a long way to go. But uh, it's it's catapulted New South Wales from the back of the pack. Yeah, it, uh, to it, to the to the front. It, it certainly uh, distinguishes them from you know abject failure. Our federal minister for emissions, who's uh, you know has no policy, doesn't seem to have a plan. Uh, you know is is more obstructive than helpful on all of this. Which maybe uh, you know we could do a little bit of that comparing and contrast. I've gone through uh, Angus Taylor's uh, presentation to the Clean Energy Council uh, Ministerial Forum recently and I've uh, got a few clips and I was hoping you might be able to help us uh, decipher some of uh, his uh, his comments. Some of his weasel words. <laughs> <laughs> so would, yeah, I think, would you be into doing on. that for us? Yeah, absolutely. But I don't think, I think it's, it's a bit unfair to say that he hasn't got a plan. I mean, he's had a plan for a long time to... <laughs> To put his foot on the brake yeah. uh, for for renewables, and and he and he's you know, been he's, so he's been, good at it. <laughs> he's been partly successful, but but the state energy ministers are undermining his plan. Yeah, they certainly don't. That is such good news. Absolutely, they seem to be bypassing him. Well, look, okay. Well, let's let's start on that because we have limited time. So, um, uh, I'll just play this clip for you now of his introductory remarks to that, and we'll see what you have to say about that. Would that be okay? Sure. Thanks, Simon. Australia continues to be strong in its performance in 2019 and remains a world leader in renewable energy investment. Last year, Australia's investment per person was greater than the US, Japan and the UK and more than three times that of Germany, China, France and Denmark. 
The Clean Energy Regulator reports that 6.3 gigawatts of new renewable capacity was installed in 2019, which is 24% above the 5.1 gigawatts recorded in 2018. Claims that we're falling behind on our previous renewable records ignores the impact of our rooftop solar growth. Our small-scale renewable energy scheme continues to drive our high uptake rate of rooftop solar. Almost one in four Australian households now have a solar system that can help them reduce their energy bills. Clearly, Taylor's, uh, you know, attempting to uh, get some reflected glory from uh, from those good figures. Uh, do you think he deserves any glory out of that? Hmm. Well, in, very indirectly. Let me let me take take you through it. The the renewable energy target was uh, was actually originally put in place by uh, by by John Howard. Believe it or not, he he um, he agreed to a system. Uh, that would lift renewables in Australia from 7% to 9%, so a tiny, tiny 2% increment mm. over the, the period 2001 to 2010. Uh, back in 2009, there was bipartisan uh, support for increasing that, and, and uh, that, we, that was increased to take it to 20% by 2020. Um, in, uh, when, when Tony Abbott came to power, he, was, uh, he and his folks, or his, his uh, donors, I guess, Mm. were very concerned that renewables were doing too well. They were going to overshoot mm. 20%. And he organised a, uh, a, a, a review, uh, the Warburton Review, where he put a, a climate science denier in charge, oh, yes. uh, you know, pr- previous head of Caltex in, in, in charge of the review. Yes. Uh, and Angus Taylor was in the background of that. He mm. worked, uh, he, he, he boasted to many that he uh, was, was in the background trying to kill the renewable energy target. Now, mm. he didn't succeed, but he did manage to create an investment strike for about two years. Mm. There was almost nothing built in 2015 and 16, and uh, uh, probably even 20, 2014, very little there as, as well. So there's once the uncertainty was resolved, uh, and, you know, and, and sorry, and, and, and Abbott, with Taylor's help, uh, did manage to cut the target back. They, they reduced the amount, they reduced about... We'd have about 40% more renewables in development right now if it wasn't for that. Mm. Um, but we did have a catch-up period, 2018, 19 and 20, uh, filling in some of that gap that was created. So, yes, we, we are doing all right right now, but we're making up for, you know, it's in spite of Mr Taylor, right. uh, not, be, not because of. So it's another, we, another example of uh, uh, climate denial cherry-picking, really? Uh, yeah, absolutely. But no, there's, there's 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 nothing that Angus has done to encourage renewables, and plenty he's done to to thwart the development. Yeah, as I thought. Mm. Look, uh, that's uh, yeah, very illuminating. Look, let's uh, let's keep on with uh, with Angus Taylor's comments because I think we we really should put, cast some illumination over them. Um, he's uh, he's talked about the economic downturn, blaming it for the problems. So I'll just quickly play this clip. Despite the economic downturn triggered by COVID-19, the renewables industry has performed well. This is backed by the CEC's own clean energy outlook, which shows that in July 2020, despite the global pandemic, investment confidence is at its highest level since records began in 2018 at 7.3 out of 10. New projects are being announced and progressed towards final investment decisions. The Clean Energy Regulator is tracking around 2.3 gigawatts of projects yet to be committed, but are still expected to proceed. This is a really good sign for the sector. 
However, with Australia being a world leader in renewable technologies and investment confidence being at high levels, we must work to balance our growing intermittent energy sources with firm generation to keep prices down and keep the lights on. Increased penetration of variable renewables can put downward pressure on prices, but they're not always available when the system needs them most. And that's why the government's continuing to support new investment in the energy sector through mechanisms like the Underwriting New Generation Investments Program, the Billion Dollar Grid Reliability Fund, Mariners Link, and through the delivery of Snowy 2.0. So, uh, yeah, again, Angus uh, claiming credit by the sounds of it uh, and, and referring to the Investor Confidence Survey, which identified the two of the ten highest challenges for the, uh, the sector as being effectively the federal government. Yeah, well, the, the, if, um, it is true that uh, confidence is, is up on a couple of years ago, but uh, that, that credit belongs entirely to the to state energy ministers. One thing, that's worth, one thing that's worth remembering is that electricity is the responsibility of the states. Uh, so, uh, and it's only, it's only been since, um, since Josh Frydenberg, when he was in the portfolio, uh, when, when he stepped in uh, after the South Australian blackout. Ah. He stepped up to the fore and, and, and said he was going to sort things out. Mm. Only since then have we had uh, federal ministers weigh in on uh, on the electricity sector to the degree that we see now uh, but they're, they're powerless uh, Angus doesn't have any levers um, to, to to stop this renewables uh, you know the, the, the stop the stop the industry uh, he can he can frustrate it but he, but um, uh, ultimately it is the responsibility of the states and and they're getting on with it mm. and of course he can uh, continue to uh, try and fund uh, or send extra funds the way of the gas industry. Yeah, there's you know there's been threats uh, that that they'll do that, but it's mm. it's it's very hard to see how uh, how we how we have it, you know, significant investments in gas Good. Um, coming coming out of uh, you know, with with federal government support because the the economics of that industry are so challenging, especially mm. since there's a global glut in in gas and uh, you know export gas is no longer a um, uh, you know it's no longer an attractive business. So yeah. it's yeah. it's um you know the the economics um, are, are very difficult to see to see how gas is going to continue. Mm. Mm. And, and and Taylor in those comments mentioned uh, intermittency and reliability, and these are two kind of code words, aren't they? These are, this is a way of attacking the renewable <laughs> energy, uh, you know, the, the future that we have, isn't it? That we need coal and gas. <laughs> yeah, and the, the Australian energy market operator, it's it's their responsibility to keep the lights on. Um, they they have you know rooms full full of people who worry about this uh, every moment of the, of the day and you know in, in real time and looking forward years in advance. Uh, they they have put together uh, they've, they've put together a plan called the Integrated System Plan, which shows several pathways forward between now and 2042. So sort of 20, 20 odd year uh, pathways forward, and it shows that the inevitably the coal power stations close. We use less gas and the lights stay on, and they're the least cost solutions. So, we you know, the, the the folks who manage our energy system, uh, yeah, they they won't say it's easy, but they they know it's inevitable, uh, and it's the and it's the least cost pathway forward that we're going to have a lot more renewables, and we're going to see the coal units retire and us use less gas. Well, it's funny you should say that because uh, the next comment from Taylor that I've got recorded here, it, it talks about cost parity. So maybe I'll just play that now. 
As we recover from COVID-19, the government's committed to reducing emissions without imposing new costs on households, businesses or the economy. We're taking a technology, not taxes approach to reducing emissions. I want to see low emissions technologies reach cost parity with incumbent technologies, with Australian businesses and consumers free to make their own technology choices. So we all, our listeners and all of us hear this kind of uh, weasel words on the telly every night. It, uh, it sounds quite uh, reasonable, but, uh, it, it, you know, is there any factual basis? Oh, the, well, the technology, not taxation, um, that, that, that comment riles me because it's the complete opposite. Um, let me, let me, firstly, let's talk about the technology aspect. Mm. The, the, um, the, the government authority that's aimed with, that, that, that's tasked with encouraging technology development in, in this space in Australia is called ARENA, the Australian Renewable Energy Agency. Mm. Um, ARENA had a, had a billion dollars of its budget removed um, between 2014 and 15. Uh, a billion dollars ripped out of that. So if we are really keen on technology, um, we wouldn't be taking money out. We'd be putting, you know, that, not, we'd be restoring that budget and yeah. upping it significantly. So yeah. the this newfound interest in technology uh, is, you know, uh, is a distraction. Yeah. Uh, and it should should be noted that the uh, we, we already have the technologies to solve about 70% of the emissions problems across our across our economy so technology is not holding us back um but if we if you do want more technology then uh you would do the opposite of what taylor's government's done mm. on the on the taxation front the only uh, the only policy that we have uh, that, that his government has at the moment for reducing emissions is the emissions reduction fund um that um callers might not know but um the government allocated initially two and a half billion dollars uh, over 15 years, and uh, so over I think 10 years, and uh, and then allocated about another two billion dollars uh, last year to these funds. So huge sums of money, uh, but they're not to be all spent at once. They're 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 eked out all the way into the 2030s, um, and and so far um, uh, I'm not even I think only about half a billion dollars of that of that four and a half uh, or so has has been spent. Um, th- so that's that's taxpayers' funds buying emissions credits from projects. Um, so paying uh, the polluters with taxpayers' money. So basically. paying the polluters, and to give mm. to give you a sense of just the magnitudes of that, the uh, all of the, um, the the pollution that's been uh, bought in the last in, in the last couple of years, about uh, two hundred and fifty million dollars worth of pollution, uh, has been less than the than the quantity of pollution by uh, by Chevron's LNG projects. So what we've got one, Lord. one company out in Western Australia who is who is offsetting, you know, who, who is who is doing more more pollution, putting, emitting more CO two than all of uh, the emissions reduction fund. My that company God. doesn't pay tax. Oh. Um, they, they, they don't pay any tax. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we we are effectively using taxation uh, to pay for their emissions. So, so it's the mums and dads Taylor, of Australia paying their, their, their PAYG taxes that are being poured in the pocket of Chevron so that they can keep uh, polluting. Yeah, a multinational corporation that doesn't mm. pay taxes in Australia. Fantastic. So, so the idea that um, the government's mantra is technology not taxation, well, actually, they're doing the complete opposite. They're using our taxes to pay for others' pollution and they've ripped money out of technology development. So it's it's they're hollow words from Taylor, which is what we've come to expect. Yeah. Mm. Uh, why doesn't it surprise me that uh, that a minister in the scummo regime would be uh, incapable of speaking the truth? 
Oh, you said it, not me. No, yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's we my say job. it. We say it. Unfortunately, we have to say it more often than not, mm. uh, Angus, because uh, as you know yourself, you know when you're constantly uh, looking into their uh, their words and the realities. Uh, it uh, gives you quite an insight. Um, yes, but the man has deep integrity problems. Mm, yes, <laughs> indeed. Yeah. Well, on the climate solutions and emission reduction fund, uh, you know, uh, Minister Taylor had this to say. Now, when it comes to technically and commercially proven technologies, the government will continue to incentivise voluntary emission reductions through broad scale or on a broad scale through the $2 billion Climate Solutions Fund. In May, the government released its response to the report of the expert panel led by Grant King, which looked at ways to unlock low-cost abatement across the economy. We agreed to their key recommendations, including to encourage greater participation in the Emissions Reduction Fund and, and incentivise voluntary emissions reduction on a broader scale. There's no doubt the ERF has been a success. <laughs> I find that particularly amusing. There's no doubt that the ERF has been a success. Yeah, I don't understand what he said, incentivise voluntary emissions through the fund. Um, mm. uh, yeah, the, the, the fund is actually um, taxpayers' money offsetting the emissions of, of, of polluters. And as I gave you that example before, the RF uh, barely offsets. In fact, it doesn't even offset one company, Chevron. Uh, so, uh, and, then, and then within the RF, there are integrity issues. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, we, so there are, there are lots of good projects in the RF, and I don't want to distract, detract from them. There, there, there are projects where we um, plant trees or we uh, you know, do... do um, uh, stop clearing in areas that were going to be cleared or we do um, uh, cultural burning up in the um, uh, you know uh, uh, savannah burning up in up in the in the north to reduce um, you know there's, there's lots of biodiversity and carbon benefits from doing that so lots of good things happen in the area but there are also lots of dodgy things that have happened there have been people who have given credits for projects that already existed before the scheme oh. uh, there have yeah. been people who have been given credits because they converted uh, oil burning engines to diesel burning engines. Oh, um, wow, uh, radical! That's wild. Yeah, um, there are people who have gone out and um, uh, got land clearing permits, and then turned around ten days later and and, and um, traded those permits in uh, for credits for not using those. Cashing oh, in on my. Christmas. So, so there 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 are integrity problems, but mm. you know, it's, um, the, the system is small. Um, it has it's had problems, uh, it, and uh, the Australia's emissions have risen under that scheme. So, it's there's when when Taylor says there's no doubt the ERF has been a success. There's absolutely doubt <laughs> that the ERF has has uh, been a success. In fact, in many ways, it's been a failure. Yeah, I tend to think I can tell he's lying when his lips move, but um, <laughs> that's just me, maybe. Look, I've got uh, one last clip from him, so we'll be, we'll be, spe we'll be free of him after that, but uh, it, uh, talking about the industry's confidence and uh, the, the arena, uh, you know, uh, the, that you were talking about earlier. So maybe just play that and hear what you have to say about that. We already know industry are keen to get involved with our technology-driven approach. For example, Arena's $70 million renewable hydrogen development round received 36% expressions of interest, seeking more than a billion dollars in grant funding towards projects, with a total value of over $3 billion. 
This will go a long way to reaching our first stretch goal from the technology investment roadmap of H2 under $2, where hydrogen becomes cost competitive with current competitors in widespread deployment. I was going to just slightly tangentially, what do you think about the hydrogen uh, track that they're going down? And, uh, you know, and of course, the, 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 you've already mentioned the, the gutting of ARENA. Yeah, well, this, I, I don't have any problem with the hydrogen program. This is exactly the kind of thing that ARENA should get involved in. They, they get involved in technologies that are pre-commercial, so that you know, where, where the science is already proven or the engineering feasibility uh, is, is, is very certain, but we know that the economics don't yet stack up and, there, and more engineering needs to go in and more deployment to get it down. That's, this is exactly what ARENA's been doing since its inception in, gee, I think it must have been around uh, 2013 um, that, that, that it got up and going, hmm. or, or 2012. So we, uh, no, problem, no problem at all with that. But if you really believe that, then don't rip a billion dollars out of the fund. Mm. Give, it, give it that money back and yeah. set it up that, you know, that that was funds that were supposed to be spent by now. So we could have been a world leader in hydrogen by now if, it, if, if ARENA hadn't been gutted. But set it up for the next decade so that, um, you know, this technology investment roadmap uh, doesn't have... There are no dollars attached to it. Um, the, the, um, it you know, it's, it's really just another exercise in kicking the can down the road. Mm. Mm. Excellent. And, of course, hydrogen is good if it's, um, if it's green hydrogen, not... Uh, not blue hydrogen from gas, as Santos wants to do, and uh, or or brown hydrogen from coal, from brown coal. Yeah, look, I, I don't I don't think the we're going to see a uh, a coal coal to hydrogen industry. There's there's one small trial down in in Victoria. It's uh, um, it, its entire goal is to produce three tons of hydrogen, which you know, would fit on the back of one truck. Mm. Um, uh, it's 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 really a science experiment just to show that it can be done. Right. But uh, I, I I wouldn't be too worried about that. As for gas, uh, it's too expensive. Um, you know, long long term, even in the medium term, no one's going to buy going to invest large amounts of money to build gas to hydrogen plants um, because it's it's just not an economic pathway in the long term. So yes, uh, we need to stay vigilant and and um, you know make sure that. Uh, people know the difference and make sure that you know, at the moment there's a, a lot of consumer opposition to to brown um, uh, hydrogen, so to, to fossil-based hydrogen. So keep keep up that opposition, but I'm confident that um, we're you know ultimately the Australian hydrogen industry will will be uh, dominated by um, by renewably produced hydrogen. That is good news. Um, look, look, we really do have to wrap it up, uh, Simon, but uh, before we do, I just wanted to quote to you from the article that you quoted, Matt Keane, to those vested interests and ideologues who want to stand in the way of this transition, I say enjoy your Kodak moment, he says. So that's, uh, I think, a good way to wrap up uh, our, our discussion of Angus Taylor's commentary. But you've just uh, been discussing briefly the, uh, uh, the issues of gas, and in the last minute, uh, just uh, obviously right now, the Pilliger, very live issue, the IPC out there at Narrabri, uh, hearings in process right now. Um, and so you say instead of fracking the Pilliger forest to produce fertiliser with a huge carbon footprint, business would could build a zero-carbon factory with the New England region making fertiliser from renewable energy. Yeah, it's pretty pretty clear uh, in, in, in all the modelling, uh, and I've, I've looked, at, looked at 14 different models for, uh, from, from different groups for how the Australian energy sector will progress, and in none of them do we need more gas. 
Uh, we don't need more gas for electricity. We don't need more gas for industry. Um, we will need uh, yeah, um, uh, hydrogen for, free, for feedstocks. And uh, a very uh, sensible way of positioning ourselves for that is, is to be making hydrogen in these uh, renewable energy zones or, or in um, former uh, heavy industry zones, uh, make it alongside uh, heavy industry, help balance the grid and create new export opportunities for Australia. Excellent. Well, I hope there are lots of people like yourself talking to the IPC and, uh, and telling them just that. Um, such an important time, isn't it? And thank you so much for sharing your uh, analysis of all that's going on and uh, sharing also the good news. You, uh, you, you help us to keep hope and uh, we hope keep you'll hope, uh, yeah, and we, and we hope you'll come back very soon and talk some more. Be happy. Thanks, Meg. Thank Thanks, you Sean. so much, Simon. Thank you, Simon. Bye. Okay. Bye. Excellent. Excellent. They're so good to talk to Simon. Uh, oh, yeah. Really, what, really appreciate that. What That's, fantastic uh, yeah. talent. He knows uh, so much uh, about that. And clarifying, uh, you know, Angus Taylor's obfuscation and weasel words, as yes. you said earlier, it's it's uh, it's so easy to get caught up in, in thinking that that all makes... There's something wrong with you when it doesn't make sense to you. That's, that's what I think people tend to do. That's right. And, and when we finally have somebody of, of Simon's quality of, you know, of analysis coming in and actually pulling that apart for us. It, yes. it makes a, a huge difference to how people can hear those things when they hear them on the telly from now on. That's right. And, I mean, it's so important because you can't expect people to spend the long hours as we do <laughs> <laughs> studying these things. You know, people have got their lives to get on with, yeah, haven't they? That's right. So it's really unfair to take advantage of them and, uh, you know, Make them fall for the three card trick. Yeah, well, that's you know? it. It's the classic, mm. uh, yeah, the, the the cup and pea trick that uh, yes. that this this government does uh, as a stock in trade. Yes, indeed. Shall we uh, have a have another track and a promo and uh, come back? Let's do that. Great. Are you looking for the courage to face the hard facts about our environmental crises? Do you want honest reporting on the global solutions that are at our fingertips? Would you like to know what simple, effective local actions you can take to make a positive difference to the state of the world today? Tune in to Environmental As Anything on 92.9 River FM every Saturday from 2 to 5 for all the news, interviews and analysis you need to make the future you want. For the future, we're hand in hand. 